Welcome to Better Money, a show that points an x-ray at folks driving capital and driving change, people working for better money. I'm Noelle Brown, and I come from the for-profit world. And I'm Jefferson Smith, and I come from the nonprofit world. Today, we're joined by Farhad Ghaffarzadeh. Welcome to the show. Farhad's the founder of Green Drop Garage, who just opened their third eco-friendly car maintenance shop. And Farhad was named one of the Portland Business Journal's 40 Under 40. Wait, wait, no, well, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt because uh, I just came from a job site. We're opening our fourth. Excellent. Uh, on January 2nd. And this uh, is such a new development, it didn't make it into your notes. So oh. we opened our third one last month and a fourth one next month. Congratulations. You're Thank on you. a roll. That's fabulous. And Green Drop itself as a business was named one of the best green workplaces in Oregon by the Oregon Business Journal. So based on all of that, Farhad, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Like, tell us the origin story. Uh, so the origin story, uh, you know, long story shorter, uh, you know, I grew up in Beaverton, uh, uh, immigrant family from Iran and uh, graduated. I said, oh, you, know, what, you know, the immigrant dream is to have you know, your son or daughter have a terminal degree. Are you going to be a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer? Uh, pick one, pick one terminal degree. So I went to college, UC Santa Cruz, um, go slugs. Uh, that might come up later. I was the banana slug. Oh, I was the nice. mascot at UC Santa Cruz, <laughs> um, which was one of the more exciting jobs I've had. Um, and I, 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 I majored in molecular biology. I was pre-med, going to go to dental school and did everything that I was supposed to do to go to dental school, and including uh, 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 studying for the dental, dental test. I'd go to Berkeley every weekend my senior year and study at the Kaplan Center in Berkeley. And uh, my cousin is a physician uh, uh, in San Francisco, and I've got some great family in San Francisco. So I'd I'd spend some time there, and I was studying for the dental test that I was going to take in two weeks. And she said, do you really want to be a dentist? And I said, no. She said, then why are you studying for the dental test? And I just closed my books. And mind you, I had already paid for the classes. <laughs> I had paid for my test. Uh, I had studied for it. Um, and so I call my dad. I go, Dad, I don't want to be a dentist anymore. Like, I don't know what I want to do. He goes, son, just take the test. <laughs> and that's where I said, first time in my life, I said, no. <laughs> like, I don't need the option. If I have the option, I'll take it. So I, I said no to dentistry and I said, I figured my life out. So fast forward, long, strange trip later, it includes, you know, I lived on a boat for a couple of years that I, that I bought uh, um, and uh, had a job as a bartender at uh, Hopworks when, when they opened and all that. But the origin story of Green Drop Garage really started in 2009 where I wanted to, I had this vision. I'm like, I, I had a car that ran on vegetable oil. And in Portland, I was... I came back home to Portland after college, and I had my, uh, you know, I I had a car that ran on vegetable oil from college because I wanted to go surfing and I couldn't afford <laughs> fuel, so I bought a four hundred dollar old Mercedes uh, in California and converted it in the woods of Santa Cruz with a crescent wrench and a flathead screwdriver. Kind of got it to work, and uh, so I put an ad on Craigslist. Hey, I'll convert your car to vegetable oil. You know, the people who wanted a vegetable oil conversion were cool people and I got to know a lot of cool people 
So fast forward to 2009, I said, I like the whole vegetable oil conversion thing. And I was converting cars for people to really help pay down my student debt at the time. And I uh, never th- saw it as a real career. It was just kind of a side hobby. And uh, so all the banks said no to a 26-year-old looking for a bank loan in 2009. Uh, they said, do you have an asset? Do you have a house? I said, I have a boat. <laughs> just like the opposite of that. No, well, you should know that it's a fast depreciating asset. Yeah. So I lived on my boat, but, but when I started my shop, I started it on, all, when all the banks said no, I uh, decided to max out my credit card. And this is why. I was uh, at a wedding in Oceanside, Oregon, not California, Oregon. I had a wedding, at a friend's wedding, and they randomly paired me with uh, a roommate. I was top bunk and bottom bunk was Jeanette Caden, who uh, owns Tin Shed. She started Tin Shed. And I had this idea for a a car repair shop that converted cars to vegetable oil, uh, fixed cars, and taught classes in the evening on on how to fix your car. So it empowered people too. And I thought it was a great idea. Uh, So I remember after the wedding, it was 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, top bunk. Jeanette, how'd you start Tin Shed? I'm really bummed. No one, no banks financing me. She goes, screw the banks. We started on credit cards. I go, isn't that dangerous? She goes, so what if you don't make it? I go, I go bankrupt. She goes, what happens before you go bankrupt? I go, I go back to bartending and pay off my debt. She goes, yeah. So I go, I'm doing it on credit cards. And the funniest thing is like when, when you commit to something, and, and this is kind of my, the last few years, you know, people ask me to give talks. One of them is about commitment. Uh, when you commit to do something, the doors open, right? So you close the door behind you. You max out your credit card. You're not going back. Uh, you buy the equipment and, and move forward. Uh, just like that dental school kind of thing where I said no to dental school. I didn't say maybe I'll keep it in my back pocket and if times get tough, I'll go backwards. I said no. I shut the door and I had no choice but to go forward. So same with this. I maxed out the credit card and I did that. And around the same time, the building found me. It's one of those like, you know, cosmic. The building finds you and says, this is uh, this is your building. The old recycle rebuilding on 9th and Madison. And uh, that's a story in itself, how I convinced the, the landlord to lease to me. But anyway, I set up shop and bought a few, uh, uh, one lift and had one mechanic. And every dollar we made paid the mechanic. And every dollar I made bartending nights and weekends paid the rent and, and uh, every, all the other associated costs. So I didn't have any money. So I lived in my office and I rented out my boat. Uh, so it was me and my dog in a very cold office with one little electric space heater. Uh, that's how I started. How would you describe your secret sauce? The secret sauce to me is that we're the non-car repair shop repair shop. Other repair shops sponsor a, a, a car, a race car. We have a bike team that we sponsor. Okay. <laughs> When others had loaner cars, we started out with bikes. We loaned out bikes. Um, we engaged the community in different ways that are non-traditional. So we just had a, a Green Drop Cares Day where our mechanics donated pro bono time on a Sunday to fix cars for teachers, social workers, and, and others who needed that help because they're helping others and they get paid like crap because our society doesn't value them like they should. So how do we do things in in a way that is non-traditional. So that's, I think, the the higher level secret sauce. Because I could always say, oh, great service or eco-friendly. And that, that's or all higher good. prices. Or higher prices <laughs> differentiate us, absolutely. Um, so that's who we are that I think makes us different and, and better, okay? But here's the real differentiator, I think. 
But what really makes us different is our new initiative on membership, where instead of you paying for a car repair, I want to start to have you pay monthly for a car that runs. So, you know, like, let's say, here's an example. You go to Jiffy Lube, you pay 20 bucks, um, and then they upsell you, you know, your air filters, you know, dirty and upsell, upsell, upsell. They love showing you the dirty air filters. The air filters get <laughs> they're always, they're always, yeah. Air filters get dirty. I think they that's what dirty. air filters do is they get dirty. Most of the most visible show, showing of dirt, um, but a dirty looking air filter isn't always dirty, but they're incentivized to sell you. So what if you just paid us $15 a month and all those basic services, all the crap that you don't care about, but you know it should be taken care of, stop making that decision. We just fix it when it needs it. And if it doesn't, you don't. So you stop having to come in and have this uh, highs and lows of, of cost. So the stress of making a decision and the cost variability are two things that we don't want in our lives. That's why we have health insurance. We don't mm -hmm. want cost variability. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we apply that to car repair? So I created these three tiers, you know, like you know, Maslow's Pyramid of Car Care. So at the top is a self-actualized car. Uh, and at the bottom, that's a Psych 101 reference. Isn't it? Appreciate so, uh, it. <laughs> you don't get a lot of psych and car jokes oh, mixed a, in. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Um, uh, so each level, you know, the bottom level is food, water, shelter, which is quick lube stuff. You know, air filter, oil, wipers, bulbs tires rotated diagnostic things and the next level is like under car stuff like suspension and the top is like engine and, and electrical stuff so i made this little pyramid and i said each level needs to be solved for two problems cost variability and stress of making a decision eliminate those two things and you win and those things are eliminated when you have a membership a monthly flatline cost and we take on the risk and just take care of it mm -hmm. so for 15 bucks a month you can get all those services at the bottom level now my goal is to get to the top get a self-actualized car on membership but we start at the bottom so now we have thousands of members on that and I knew I was on the right track when I ran that idea by our uh, my car repair peers and they all laughed at me and thought I was crazy they go the goal is to raise per client spend not lower it and I go no we're all doing it the wrong way the goal is to have more clients come back to you and just trust you and then figure out a way to make a buck but you start with your values so anyway that's what I think is the new exciting part because the other stuff, environmental, social, employee, if we don't do that, I don't want to be in business. So that's like saying, to me, that's like saying, uh, one, you know, uh, I'm really proud that we don't lie and cheat and steal. I'm like, no, that's just a given. Like, if you do, you shouldn't be in business. So that's the new awesome and exciting part of, of, of differentiating Green Drop. Well, that sounds like a really cool advance on your business. I'm just wondering, though, what does... What does ultimate success look for look like for Green Drop Garage and for your business? What does better money look like for you? If we can, I don't know if what what money amount to a dollar amount uh, would would equate success, but I think if we maintain our margins, mm -hmm. so that we have a healthy company that can reinvest in doing cool things, and I can make a living, that's a successful thing. But if we look at the mechanisms of what generates the money, meaning what's my business model. I think far into the future, we're going to become less of a turning a wrench shop. We're not trading money for turning a wrench. We're trading I, we're trading money for confidence and a brand and a service that makes sure that your car stays on the road. Now, however that however that shapes out, I don't know. What did you screwed up on? Name an epic fail moment. Ah, so many, so many. Um, I think my biggest fails come with uh, pushing the company to the edge financially. And the failure comes in setting us back six months. That's not as exciting as what you might um, want. What's next for you? Boom, bust, or exit? 
for me, I feel like, so I'm 10 years in, mm-hmm. uh, but I feel like I just finally built a foundation to where I can take off from. So I think it's a boom, but it, it, I don't know exactly how, it, I don't think I'm going to just go from four locations to 10 with the same model. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the near future, the model will shift to be a bit more uh, in line with how a services company that has a membership model associated. If someone were going to call Bull on you or on your business, what would they say? Uh, it's funny. Uh, after working in my business and seeing some other peers' businesses, there is so much bullshit. Not meaning, meaning not not that they're not a good business. It's that the facade is not reality behind the facade. Go to any restaurant and refine up front chaos in the back. It's like a mullet, right? Uh, the trend, like we, we try to be really transparent with the car repair, but really the bullshit is how big people think we really are and how many people are truly involved with decision making. And I don't know if I should be saying this on air, but how, uh, sometimes close to the line, I really push it. Um, uh, I think the bank could have called bullshit on me a few times and <laughs> I'd be caught with my pants down. Um, even with the latest acquisition. So I think it's really, uh, and this is with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in this space, uh, financial bullshit, I think, on our finances. So what if instead of saying, oh, well, maybe you do weird stuff with a balance sheet, but actually you say you'll loan me a bike, but meanwhile, you're are you just greenwashing the driving of cars and making it so more people feel a little bit better about using seventh generation toilet paper for automobiles? Totally. No, so that is so true. Okay. Um, so I get this, I get people who say this, and I, I've had people call me a sellout before. Uh, because I went from converting cars to vegetable oil to doing full service. And I always give this analogy. You can go to the food co-op, okay, and in the wintertime buy your squash and seasonal fruits and seasonal veggies and, and, and bring your mason jar to fill with grains and all that stuff, and that's good, okay? But it's dogmatic, and it's not wrong. It's that the general population doesn't respond to a food co-op. That's why there's only four in Portland. But the thing is, sometimes at 10 p.m., I want Cheerios for my daughter, okay? And that's where the larger cross-section of society has needs that the co-op can't, can't uh, provide. So then there's Safeway, okay? So it's co-op or Safeway. So what happens is people, most people go to Safeway. That's why Safeway is bigger. But then along comes New Seasons and says, people want that fit and feel, but they want the breadth of selection. And they want strawberries in the wintertime. We'll just tell them it's coming from Mexico and they can make a choice. So instead of being dogmatic and telling people what they should be doing and making them feel bad if they don't do it, like if I didn't, if I showed up to the the co-op and I forgot my canvas tote bag, I'd feel like an idiot, okay? So I do my best, but New Seasons became pragmatic and they came and said, you want that fit and feel, but we're not gonna judge you if you just want Cheerios. We might uh, push you towards the organic O's, but there's Cheerios too. There's toilet paper too. And oh, you forgot your tote bag? No problem. Here's a paper bag. But it's made with recycled paper and uh, recycle it when you get home or reuse it. So yes, in an ideal world, we'd be all on steel rail uh, trains to transport us or whatever. Um, But the reality is that we need to be pragmatic and meet people where they are. Now, I would say that New Seasons using that example, let's say if it skews you 5% more eco and the co-op makes you 50% more eco. Well, the co-op gets 100,000 customers a, a year. The New Seasons gets 10 million. 5% of 10 million is way more than a 
fifty percent of a hundred thousand. Well, maybe it's the same. I know it's it's different. Um, uh, so that's what I say. Pragmatic is more important, and meeting people where they are and skewing them. And it's not just the product that you're producing. I mean, the way in which you're doing business is sometimes just as valuable. It's like people checking the packaging that their food's coming in, not just the food itself. So, I mean, how are you doing business? You know, you've got your B Corp. Um, you know, talk to us a little bit about what that looks like, too. B Corporation? Yeah, um, I mean, the, the parental leave, everything. What are some of the things you've done in your business? So it's mm -hmm. not just the end product that is differentiating and social. It's the whole process itself. And, and yeah, yes, and I like, I like how you use process because um, that's what it's all is. It's just a, it's a process. There's no, we're at the mountaintop. We're always climbing. So B Corporation in particular was... Uh, it's you know it's a certification process that makes sure that you're environmentally, socially, and uh, uh, employee uh, uh, better than than other or better than uh, a non B Corp. So for me, B Corp certification is again another process where I commit to the process and I say I'm going to be B Corp certified. So you go through the whole uh, audit mm -hmm. and you get a super low score and it's discouraging, but then you look at what you can improve on and one of the big ones was let's say how, how do you treat your employees and i thought i treated them well but they you know it asked do you have maternal paternal leave and i said no i should just put that in so i gave a few weeks and, and i said that's a start it's a foot in the door and uh a month later one of my staff members used it which was really cool so he got paid paternal leave and um so i felt good about it so it's, it makes it a better work environment so that's one example of a lot of different small choices that we made in the organization especially when we commit to a certification process that holds you your feet to the fire. So you can't just be self-congratulating uh, and say, we're doing great. And then in reality, there's metrics and you're not hitting some of them. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we, we every uh, quarter or so, we look at a different area in the business to improve on. So we just did a whole waste stream audit yeah. so that we could get a little bit more efficient on our waste stream. Even though we're good, we recycle all the metals and, and recycle, just everything, uh, we could do a lot better as well. Uh, so it's all a process. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no, again, going back to the, the dogma of co-op versus pragmatism, I think pragmatic is process. Dogma means you're already there and everyone should be like you. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's a winning formula. You create less jobs, you create less impact, and you probably aren't profitable, so that means you can't make a living. Mm -hmm. So... I want to follow up on one of Noel's questions, which is your future plans. So I don't want to talk about exit plans. Well, I at least want to nudge on this. A lot of why you use the example of New Seasons, right? New Seasons will say that one of the uh, watershed decisions for their shop was whether or not to carry Pepsi. And they decided to carry Pepsi. So the person who wanted Pepsi would still come. And maybe then they'd also pick up some muesli or some darn thing. Uh, when, and that was based on human decisions of the people leading the company. At some point, you will not be able to lead this company, maybe because it's gone or maybe because you're gone. How do you infuse the values of the organization if you build a big brand with these memberships rather than just something that, oh, great, we're going to buy this book of memberships and will only maintain the values to the degree they are absolutely necessary for marketing. But that will be a mathematics choice, not a values based choice. Right. So one, let's say a big corporation in our uh, uh bylaws or whatever, one, one of those <laughs> guiding documents, uh, you have to consider more than just the financial impact, so social and all that. 
the other stuff that you're talking about more as an operational in the company day-to-day decision making uh you know i try to live and uh, instill the values that our company has so we've written them out so we have our mission vision values where we're going so sure if i'm gone if i get hit by a bus one day i'm sure there'll be uh, some uh, hopefully a time of mourning i don't know if right? <laughs> but uh there'll also be a time where they need to review like you know what would farhad do okay and the best i can do is to to have our mission vision values lined out uh, that I've done and make sure that the people, especially that are decision makers now, spend time with me and they see how I would do things and I guide and coach them. But even, it's funny, even the the most uh, uh, values-centric, like Apple, it's a very value-centric organization, written out to the T, a model example of what, you know, uh, a clear vision and all that. With Steve Jobs gone, they they, they went a different direction in a way. Right? They don't have the luster that they used to have. They make different decisions that different decisions that he would not have made. Um, so the best I can do is uh, show the vector on where I see it going and write out as much as possible uh, where we're going and instill that in as many people as possible, so that when I'm gone, if if and when I'm gone, uh, they stay somewhat on course. But at that point, they got to make a decision because I might not be there when I'm not there. I might not see. Uh, a, a roadblock that they see so they might have to navigate it differently so to answer your question uh, uh, mission vision values and really instilling that in the staff and in the decision makers and on the on the company constitution basically the articles of incorporation or no what is it called the bylaws whatever it is we we have put in there that we don't uh, articles of incorporation maybe yeah I forgot you know I'm, uh, but uh, it's more than just money. You have, to, you have to consider environment and social impact as well. It is now time for the rapid round. We'll go back and forth. I'll start. A piece of advice that you were given that still inspires you. Be what you want others to perceive you to be. Actually be uh, that person. Don't fake it. What's a book that needs to be on all of our bookshelves? To Sell as Human and by Daniel Pink and uh, book. Sh- yeah, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. Mm. On my night table, haven't read it. A factoid everyone should know. Factoid everyone should know. Uh, F equals MA, always and forever. Force equals mass times acceleration? Always. Everything is a derivation of force equals mass times acceleration. That can go into every aspect of science, but it can go into every aspect of life. If you get me a beer, <laughs> I'll describe it to you, Franklin. <laughs> We might see it in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Quote you try to live by. Screw it. Let's do it. Who who said that? Everybody? Richard Branson. (laughs) Uh, uh, Something about you that no one knows. I can still fit into my high school water polo speedo. Me too. There you go. I can't. (laughs) Jefferson didn't play water polo. Let me me elaborate. Uh, I I played for the Beaverton High School Beavers, and my water polo is tangerine orange. And says beaver on the back. Woo! My brother played water polo. I'm just happy to be here. And we were happy to have you. Thank you for spending time on Better Money. That was Farhad. Thanks, Farhad. Thanks, Farhad. Thanks, guys.